It's really good to see you. And uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it up, please, to Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 to 32, uh, that Neil read to us. It's on page 914, 914, uh, if you don't have it. Uh, I suspect that for many of us, Joel uh, is an unfamiliar book. Uh, The passage, though, that we read this evening might sound a bit more familiar to you. And the reason for that is uh, this passage that we're going to look at tonight in Joel chapter 2 is quoted by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. That's probably why you've heard uh, those words as they were read. And these verses that we're going to look at tonight, they were so crucial uh, that when Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, these were the verses that the early church took as their cue to begin their global mission, uh, reaching the world for Christ. And so they're special verses, they're important verses, and they've got a lot to say to us tonight. So let's pray before we look at the passage together. Uh, Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to uh, gather as your people in this place. And we thank you, Lord, that we have access to your word, uh, that it is living and active. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be with us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us uh, individually, but also as a church. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Whenever I was at university, I had a a lecturer who used to tell us all the time how privileged we were to live in the age in which we lived. Uh, He would go on and tell us basically, like, if you were a student uh, back in the day, research was very difficult because you couldn't just go on your computer with your coffee and look up a journal. You had to literally go to university, to the library, find the journal that you needed, and then go home having found it. And that was one journal of many that you would need. Or when it came to writing an essay, for example, uh, it's easy, isn't it, today we can just go on Word, you can take off any bits that were wrong, but he would say back in my day when I was writing essays, if you made a mistake, then you had to do the whole thing uh, over again. Uh, It is possible to take for granted the age in which we live, but it's also possible to do that as Christians as well. We can take for granted the age in which we live. Uh, In order to understand the age in which we live, Uh, We need to think about where it is that we stand in redemptive history and in relation to the book of Joel. If you remember from previous weeks, Joel was prophesying uh, to God's people in Judah, and they had faced a terrible crisis. An invading army of locusts had completely stripped the land, the land of promise. And this day of the locusts, the day of the Lord, it was a really terrible thing because it was a sign of God's judgment. And yet it was not nearly as terrible as the day it foreshadowed, the great and awesome day of the Lord, which Joel speaks of in our passage tonight in verse 31. So you and I this evening, we live in an age, in a period after the events of Joel and the locusts, but before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And Joel clearly has this age in mind uh, when he speaks, because in verse 28 he says, and afterwards. And afterwards, he's thinking of a specific time, and that time is now. Uh, The phrase that the the New Testament uses most often to describe the age in which you and I live this evening, tonight, right now, is the last days. Uh, Would you keep a a finger, please, in Joel? Would you mind turning to Acts chapter 2, verse 17? I think it's important to see this. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. It's on page 1093. 1093, and the Apostle Peter at Pentecost 
stands up to address the Jewish people. And verse 16, he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Now, if you look at verse 17 there, it says, in the last days, he's quoting Hosea. But if you go back to Hosea chapter 2, you'll see in verse 28, he says, and afterwards. So what Peter does is he takes that little phrase afterwards and he substitutes in the last days. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to be absolutely clear that we live in the time that Joel is prophesying about. And so the question facing us this evening is this, what can we expect? What can we expect in the age in which we now live? What can we expect to experience in the last days as we anticipate this great day of the Lord? We need to understand the age in which we live so that we don't take it for granted. Uh, Joel tells us what will happen in these last days, back on page 914, Joel 2, verse 28, he says, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. The first heading tonight is this, God pours out his spirit so that his people will know him and make him known. God pours out his spirit so that his people will know him and make him known. That's verses 28 and 29. Uh, in these verses, God promises to pour out his spirit, can you see, on all people. Now, the context makes it clear that that means all believers without distinction. It's not, it doesn't mean all people without exception. Uh, the promise here is that God is going to pour out his spirit on all of his people without uh, distinction. And what Joel prophesied would happen, Peter at Pentecost stands up and says, that has happened. And that's a very wonderful promise because even though the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit was not poured out upon all of God's people. So time and time again, you read in the Old Testament of how the, the Spirit would come upon someone or be, they would be filled with the Spirit uh, on select individuals so that they could speak or do things for God, but he was not poured out on all people. But now he is. The Spirit is now given without distinction of gender or age. Verse 28, your sons and daughters. Or without distinction of social class. Verse 28, even on my servants. God has poured out his Spirit on every believer without distinction. Joel wasn't the only prophet who longed for this age, the age of the Spirit being poured out. There was a story uh, about Moses in Numbers chapter 11. You don't need to turn there. But the story goes of how Moses was filled with the Spirit in such a way that he knew God directly, intimately. And he made God known to the people of Israel. And we read that one day the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses and took some of the Spirit that was in Moses and put it upon 70 of the elders of Israel. And when the Spirit rested upon those 70 elders, they prophesied. Uh, what then happens is that word gets out that two of the elders hadn't come as Moses had commanded to the tent, but they had stayed in their home and they were prophesying. And Joshua, Moses' sidekick, he comes to Moses, he's not happy about it, and he encourages Moses to forbid them from prophesying. And Moses says something that's really important. He replies to Joshua and he says to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets. 
that the Lord would put his spirit on them all. That's what he says. Would that the Lord's people, all of the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. In other words, Moses' wish back in Numbers 11 was that every single one of God's people would know God directly as he did. His wish was that every one of God's people would be filled with the Spirit of God. And what Moses longed for in Numbers 11 is what Joel is saying here is going to happen. And then that is ultimately what Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2, and he says it has happened. What Moses longed for, what Joel prophesied about, that has happened. God has poured out his Spirit on all of his people. I don't know if you follow the New Year's Honours list. Uh, The New Year's Honours list comes out in the New Year, as you'd expect, and it's given to a select few of people. Uh, You get onto it for doing different things that uh, add value in civil life, but it's given to a select few. It's not given to everyone. But this passage is exciting because it's it's almost like saying the New Year's Honours list has been released and we're all on the list. It's not that the Holy Spirit is given to a select few group of people. The Holy Spirit, according to this passage, has been poured out on all believers. And that is an extraordinary privilege. It is a privilege that God has done that. And it's a privilege that you and I live in the age of the Spirit being poured out. Now, the question that then arises is, what does it mean that God has poured out his Spirit? What difference does it make in our life? Well, there's two things. Firstly, it means that all God's people will know God all God's people will know God. We're familiar in English, aren't we, with the phrase to pour out your heart. If you pour out your heart to someone, uh, you're you're, kind of opening yourself up to them. You're sharing something of yourself with them. And that's partly what it means for God to pour out his spirit. He opens his heart to us so that we begin to grasp what kind of God he is. Uh, Romans 5.5 says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. But it's about more than that. Because when God pours his spirit out upon a believer, he does so in order to reveal himself so that he may be known directly. And this is an amazing, amazing truth. And it's also the point of the language in verse 28 of dreams and visions. Verse 28, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Uh, In the Old Testament, prophets like an Isaiah or a Jeremiah, they would meet with the Lord. He would reveal himself to them. And oftentimes, it was through dreams and visions. God would speak to them and reveal himself to him. Uh, Numbers 12, verse 6, describes this. This is what Numbers 12, 6 says. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. And so the language of dreams and visions has to do with revelation, God revealing himself. And this verse is teaching that in the new covenant, every believer is filled with the Spirit so that they may know God directly in the same way that the prophets in the Old Testament knew God. Because God's Spirit has been poured out upon all believers, all believers will know God. Just meditate on that for a second. Were it not for this fulfilled promise, uh, you would not know God tonight. Uh, We would not have the saving knowledge of Christ. We would be in darkness. But now, because the Spirit has been 
poured out on all who belong to Christ by faith, we are not in darkness. We know God because God's Spirit has made God known to us. Now, even as I speak now, this promise is at work. Right now as I speak and as his word goes out, his Spirit is making him known. I was thinking this week, imagine what it would be like if Moses were to walk into our service tonight. It would be very weird, granted, but imagine he were to walk in tonight. What would he think as he looked around and as he saw us doing what we're doing? Uh, we tend to think that Moses had this amazing uh, experience of God. But, you know, if he were to walk through those doors tonight, he would look around and be filled with joy. Because that most rare of privileges in the Old Testament, to know the Lord directly and intimately, that knowledge is now ours because we have the Spirit of God. So that's the first thing that it means to have the Spirit. It means that all God's people will know God. But the second implication of God pouring out His Spirit is not just that God's people will know God, it's that God's people will make God known. That's what it means in verse 28, when Joel says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Every Christian has been given a prophetic ministry of making God known. Now, that doesn't mean that every believer is a prophet like Moses or Jeremiah. Uh, we don't need to start recording our words and adding them to the Bible. Uh, there's not going to be that kind of prophetic ministry ever again because Jesus is God's final word to us. Hebrews 1.1, in the past, God spoke to us and our ancestors through the prophets in many times in many ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. So we're not prophets in the Old Testament sense of the word. It's also not referring uh, to the New Testament gift of prophecy that had a foundational role in the early church. It's simply saying that every Christian has received the Spirit of God and has been equipped to make God known by proclaiming his word. And that is exactly what happened in the book of Acts when the Spirit was poured out. Do you remember what happened to that little crew of Jesus' followers? Uh, they were equipped to become witnesses to the entire world. And that is one of the reasons we are given the Spirit, not just so that we know God, but also so that we can make God known. I was thinking of some questions of application, and I thought this question uh, this week, as we stand, as we do in this incredibly privileged moment of salvation history, if we are alive, as we are, in a day when God has chosen to pour out his Spirit on all of us, every one of his children, so that we can know him and so that we can make him known, if that is the big thing that God is doing in his world right now, then to what extent is that our priority? To what extent is it our priority to know the Lord, to know the living God directly, intimately, closely? And to what extent is it our priority to make him known? Sometimes we can play down the extent to which we can know God. We see some people and we think they're super Christians. But according to this passage, every Christian has been given the Spirit so that every Christian can know the Lord and experience Him intimately. And every Christian has been given the Spirit so that every Christian can testify to what God has done in their life and done in the world. We've said that every believer has a, a prophetic ministry in a sense that we know God and we make him known. But what is the message that we are to make known? 
Well, that leads us into our second section, and into verses 30 to 32. And I've put as our, our heading for that one, salvation is a matter of calling. Salvation is a matter of calling, verses 30 to 32. Let me just read those verses. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord has called. It might be possible to read this little book, to follow the sermon series as we've gone through it, and to make the mistake of thinking that the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, isn't coming anymore. Uh, The locust plague had been diverted, which is a great relief, but that doesn't mean that the great uh, day of the Lord uh, has been turned aside. It is still to come. And that's why we get the, the kind of dramatic, apocalyptic language of judgment in verses 30 and 31. Do you know, some Christians love to fixate on signs of the times. But do you know what? There's no need uh, to think about signs of the times or look for signs of the times because the sign has been given. And the sign is that the Spirit of God has been poured out by the risen Christ. And that is the only sign we need in order to confirm that we do live in the last days and we are anticipating the great day of the Lord. Uh, it's a bit like uh, being in a football game and we're in the second half. There is no third half uh, to come. We might be into extra time, but the final whistle is coming. There's been a lot of talk this week, isn't there, about the extended period of extra time in the football matches. It may feel like that for us, but we are in that time, and the end is coming. So there's judgment to come, but verse 32, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, The idea that salvation involves calling on the name of the Lord, that might not strike you as particularly controversial tonight, but it might have come as a shock to Joel's original audience. Joel's original hearers, they might have assumed that they would be safe on this day of judgment by virtue of belonging to the nation of Judah. So you can imagine Uh, the the thought process going a bit like this. You know, we're physically descended from Abraham, our ancestor, and we live in Jerusalem. So when this great day of the Lord comes, we will be fine because we're from the right kind of people and we live in the right place. But the whole book of Joel uh, wants to challenge that false assumption. It doesn't matter who you're descended from. It doesn't matter where you live. Uh, Salvation is a matter of calling a matter of calling on the name of the Lord. And when we read verse 31, or sorry, verse 32, uh, that on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, we ought not to get confused by that. That doesn't mean we need to go on uh, jet two or whatever it is and book tickets to Israel because nationality doesn't count for anything. Geography doesn't matter. Salvation is a matter of calling. All that matters is that someone calls on the name of Jesus. And Paul confirms that in Romans 10, verse 10. This is what he writes as he quotes Joel as well. He says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. For as there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For, and then quoting Joel, 
everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, to call on the name of the Lord simply means to call on the name of Jesus, because Jesus is the Lord. The Apostle Peter, again in Acts chapter 2, he says to the people of Israel, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And the Apostle Paul in Acts 4 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So can you see, salvation is a matter of calling, calling out to Jesus in repentance and faith. One of the most interesting things and intriguing things about this passage is that dramatic apocalyptic language of judgment in verses 31 and 32. When you first read it, it's hard to know what to do with it. But you know, the language that's used there is the exact language that matches the description of Jesus' death on the cross in Matthew chapter 27. You've got to ask ourselves the question, why is that the case? Why is the language of a day of judgment the same language and imagery that's used of Jesus' death on the cross? Well, it's because on the cross, Jesus was going through the day of judgment in our place. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself the plague of judgment for our sins. All of God's righteous anger that will be poured out on the day of the Lord was laid upon Jesus in our place. Jesus went through the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, in order that you and I may never have to, and in order that we may stand on that day of judgment. So we see that salvation is a matter of calling. It's about calling on the name of Jesus. Because salvation is by grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. Why does God receive the glory? If it's all about calling out to Jesus, why do we not receive the glory? We're doing the calling. Well, I wonder, did you notice that salvation also involves being called by God? Verse 32, on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. You see, those whom the Lord calls are the same as those who call on the name of the Lord. It just depends on what perspective you're looking at it from. From our perspective, where we call out, or from God's perspective, where he calls us. Both are true, and both are true at the same time. As we finish then, we said at the start, didn't we, that it's important that we know and we understand the age in which we live so that we don't take it for granted. And Joel wants us to say tonight that we live in a very special and a very privileged age. We live in the age of the Spirit. Because God has poured out his Spirit on all of us, it means that we can know him. And it means that we can go out from this place and we can make him known. And it also means that even though that day of judgment is coming, it will come, we know that, we can see that Jesus is the one who went through that day of the Lord on our behalf. He has taken all that we could dread. And therefore, as we look to that day, we don't look to it uh, with dread. We look to it with joy. And we rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. Joel says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Let's pray as we finish.